We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Inhale. Good. Wouldn't that smell better with farm-rich mozzarella sticks in front of you? Yes, find Farm Rich in the freezer aisle and enjoy. This season, all your favorites have one home for the holidays. Yours with Disney+. Plus. Merry Christmas! Moana, Woody, Buzz, Captain Marvel, Darth Vader, and Homer will all be there, so make room. Make Disney Plus your home for the holidays. Streaming Disney, Pixar, Marvel, Star Wars, Nat Geo, and 30 seasons of The Simpsons. That's something to celebrate. Merry Christmas to you! (laughs) All these and more now streaming. Go to DisneyPlus.com to sign up now. Welcome to the Barcelona Podcast, episode 96, Unmissable Opinions, brought to you by the most influential voices in the FC Barcelona community. Thanks again for tuning in. You can tap in your app or check out the show notes if you're looking online to subscribe to the show. You can follow us on social media as well. On Twitter, at the Barcelona Pod, at HiltonD13 for me. We're also on Instagram, and there's a closed Facebook group, tvpod.link backslash group. Today we've got a very special show for you where it doesn't matter if you're listening to this the day it comes out or maybe you're listening a year in the future. Now, the end of the show has changed a little bit, but by and large, this is one of the, the things that I've, and Frances and I, we talked about. We've wanted to do this for a long time, and while Frances is still away, my co-host for today is actually a French speaker, Mike Miller, and we're doing this almost in honor of France's win at the World Cup and the four players that Barcelona currently have on their roster. So we're going to be breaking down no Legran Pagunta, no La Ronda. We're just going to be having a long-form discussion about France's connection with FC Barcelona. And Mike, thanks so much for joining the show. And we won't be speaking much French, but you're going to be helping me throughout the day with pronunciations and making sure that I don't offend all of our French listeners. Hey, Dan. Thank you very much for having me. Bonjour, les amis. That means hello, friends. <laughs> All right. Well, before we get to Eric Albidal and Umtiti, Dembele, Denier, Lenglet, the guys that we know, I want to start by kind of breaking down some of the geography and why the connection between Catalonia and Spain and France. And when we, when we were doing our research, I kind of already knew this, but there was only 24 total players who played for FC Barcelona, the majority of which have all come in the most recent years. And you were discussing with me off-air, Mike, why there's a 31-year gap between 
the eighth player who played for Barcelona, Lucien Muller, and the ninth player. So I guess that'd probably be the place to start as why there's so few French players, even though France borders Catalonia. That's right, Dan. Uh, before 1996, every, every player, except for an exemption of three, had to be uh, natural-born Spanish citizens. And that rule didn't only exist in Spain. It existed pretty much everywhere in the world. And uh, in 1996... Cause Celebre, a very famous judicial ruling uh, happened, and that ruling is known as the Bosman ruling. And that changed not only football forever, but uh, labor laws as well across the entire European Union. Uh, so the difference between that, then and now is that now that exemption still exists, but if you have a, uh, an EU passport, if you have a European Union passport, you are considered as a local worker and the exemption of three applies to every player who doesn't have an EU passport. So if I can use an example to illustrate this, in 1993-1994 Barca had four players who were not Spanish. Romario, Michael Laudrup, Risto Stoichkov and Ronald Koeman. Because of that because of uh, the fact that there were four and the exemption was only three, Barca, uh, Johan Cruyff at the time, who was the, who was the manager, was only able to field three of them. So his preference was to field Ronald Koeman, Romario, and Stoichkov. And Michael Laudrup ended up being left out. So after the 1994 Champions League final, which Barca lost to AC Milan, despite Johan Cruyff, Michael Laudrup ended up leaving for Real Madrid. And that was two years before the Bosman ruling. And that, uh, fortunately for Barcelona, wound up not being a, a major milestone moment. And we do remember the time that Laudrup had at the club fondly. And you don't consider him the kind of traitor that uh, Luis Figo was. But it, it does beg the question for Barcelona how it's taken them, I guess, since 1996, uh, a bit of time to get caught up with, with the, the French allegiances. But again, before we get there, I also want to... As again, this is more of a cultura show for you. There is a Catalan part of France where rugby is actually the most popular sport. And Mike, I'll let you say the three names of uh, th- the three major, not major cities, but the three cities, towns, or larger regions in the Catalan part of France where they do speak Catalan, but due to the king years and years ago, in the same way that the dictatorship in Spain outlawed the Catalan language in use. The French king did the exact same thing. So the Catalan language, even more so in Catalonia, was really repressed. And it's an odd thing that rugby has become the most popular sport in that region. But as, as we said, there aren't a lot, you don't get a lot of footballers coming out of that particular region that would still identify as Catal- Catalan or play for the Catalonian national team. So these three cities are Serre, Perpignan, and Prades. And as we said, it is a, a, a rugby center through and through. And the same reason why it's a rugby center, and it's kind of transitioned us to the very first player that played for FC Barcelona from France, and that was René Victor Venneret from 1902 to 1903, which, if you remember, was the time, obviously, of Gampère and the, the first stars of the club. And this was a time when so much of, of footballing clubs that were popping up were founded by students and, and players that were coming from different regions or, or again, visiting for 
family for a, a large amount of time or continuing their studies in certain places. And he's no exception. He came as a, a almost as, as an extended student and stayed for a while, stayed for the year, and then that was it. So for a lot of these early players, when things, again, weren't as established and wages, if you will, we could have a whole show about how players were were paid going back to the turn of the 20th century. Now you have first player, Rene Venere, in 1902-1903. We fast forward to 1908-09 for Henry Normand, and then Jim Carlier, 1913-1914, Maurice Big. 1913 to 1914 played with Carlier, Jean Verdeau, 1917 to 1918, Pigeon from 19, in 1928, so he wasn't there too long, Jules Robisco, 1948, and then eighth player of French origin to play for FC Barcelona is the first one that we're really going to focus on, Mike, and that is Lucien Muller, 1965 to 1968, and people might remember him as a manager in the 70-79 season. But as we were talking about off-air, he's probably more remembered for the team that he came from. Exactly, Dan. Um, to this day, Lucien Muller is still the only French player to have played on both sides of the Classical. He came from Real Madrid after uh, playing there from 1962 to 1965, and he played 77 league uh, games for Real Madrid. Uh, after that, he came to Barcelona and uh, stayed with the FC Barcelona from 65 to 68. And he played 68 league games for FC Barcelona as a midfielder. And then with the 1966 World Cup, the one that was won by England, he did, make, he did not make an appearance at the World Cup, but he was on the squad. And that was a time when, for French football, and how many think pieces can you read about in the last two or three weeks, that French football really did see a desolate period where they were missing a lot of World Cups. So 1966 was one of those rare times in those decades that they did make an appearance. And again, while he wasn't there, he is a guy that is remembered as a Barcelona player. He he frequented, and he is still alive today in his 80s, but he did frequent a lot of those alumni games that you see now Ronaldinho popping up a lot at and those kind of players. But Muller is remembered as a Barcelona player, even though Oddly enough, he made less appearances for Barcelona than he did for Real Madrid. And as we had talked about before, like we're going to fast forward now, and it seems like we're moving quickly through them. That's because a lot of the guys that we're going to talk about played much more recently because of that 31-year gap due, obviously, to the Bosman ruling rectifying that in 1996 and allowing more French players, first of which is a name that many will know as a manager, and that is Laurent Blanc. 1996 to 1997, injuries plagued him in his one season for Barcelona after winning the French title with Auxerre. And he's a guy that, as a player, made over 600 appearances for nine different clubs. Montpellier, uh, one of the twin or sister cities of Barcelona, he made over 240 appearances for them. And then he really just hopped around for the rest of his career, only made 28 appearances for Barcelona. And he is one of these examples, Mike, and there's a few of these on the list that we're about to get to, of players that... Obviously, tons of fans around the world know these names either as players or managers and all-time greats, yet when you look at their Barcelona careers, it wasn't that successful. Exactly, Dan, and uh, as, we, as we continue down the list, we're going to see a few more names that were part of that 1998 uh, French team which won the World Cup. Laurent Blanc is one of them. He represented France a year after leaving Barcelona. And uh, his time with Barcelona, unfortunately, is not 
is not a time that that he would <laughs> actually remember himself as a, a glorious time in his career. Although he had a decent career, he was able to play for some for some great clubs. He played for Marseille. Uh, he played for uh, Manchester United. But with Barcelona, unfortunately, who knows what would have happened if he hadn't suffered that many injuries. But you're right. I, I, you're absolutely right. There are a lot of these French players uh, which had high-profile careers, a lot of success with other clubs or with their national team, but simply didn't uh, adapt with the Barcelona style. Well, speaking of that 1998 World Cup squad, I, I'll, we were talking again about this gentleman, number 10, off-air, and I'll let you introduce him. And again, you had a lot to say about him. He's currently a pundit that those who, who do listen to French broadcasts are going to be familiar with. Exactly, and uh, we're talking about Christophe Dugarry. Christophe Dugarry uh, is, uh, played with Barcelona for only a half of, a half of a season in, 19, uh, in 1997. Uh, he came over from AC Milan after spending a season in AC Milan, but his claim to fame was uh, to have faced AC Milan in 1996 at the UEFA Cup final. And one of his teammates was none other than Zinedine Zidane. So with that success, he was able to he was able to move to AC Milan at the same time as uh, Zinedine Zidane moved to Juventus. And after uh, unadve- after an uneventful year with AC Milan, he was able to move away from from the Serie A and come over to Barcelona, where he only played seven league games in half a season. So the first chance he had actually moved away from Barcelona to Marseille and finished his, his career. Well, he played a few years in the French League and then finished his career quietly in Qatar later down the line. But other than the 1996 UEFA Cup final, his other claim to fame is to have been part of the 1998 French squad, which won the, the World Cup in France. But other than that, his career was marked with Lots of disappointments. Uh, he was always, I mean, viewed as someone with a lot of potential, with a lot of talent, but he was never actually able to to really show that talent at the highest level. He performed well in the French league and had a breakthrough season, 1996, at the European level. But that that was pretty much it. And like you mentioned, uh, Dan, today he's a pundit for uh, a French network. And uh, he's very opinionated, and <laughs> ironically enough, he's very critical of of the French national team. And uh, every now and then, he'll even say a thing or two about Barcelona. And uh, it's very clear to me that he doesn't have uh, a lot of fond memories about his time in Barcelona. And every chance he gets, he will say something negative about FC Barcelona. The next guy on our list, number 11, Frederic Deyou, 1999 to 2000. Most Barcelona fans won't even remember him. He barely made any appearances after joining Barcelona, winning the French title in the French League Cup with R.C. Lenz in one of their uh, glorious eras right at the turn of the century. Then he joined PSG after just one season, and he's almost the opposite example where he wasn't a high-profile guy, and Barcelona took a flyer on him because he was part of this French winning squad, and it just didn't work out. And Deyou's story not being well-known kind of brings us to the first guy who is well-known because of his time at Barcelona, 
in net, and that is Richard Dutrell from 2000-2002. Now, I think a lot of people remember him because he was a Barcelona goalkeeper, but his his real quality and the best of his career came from the five years prior when he was at Celta de Vigo. Then he winds up leaving for Alaves, and he's really, other than Muller, as we talked about, the first player that Barcelona have from France who has made their living in Spanish football in La Liga before coming to Barcelona. And Dutrell, he did have a few big moments for a squad that it's not the heyday of FC Barcelona just yet. Whatever success that Dutrell might have had during that period is uh, unfortunately offset by the fact that that period was the most difficult period uh, in recent history for FC Barcelona. Those were the days of Joan Gaspar, when Joan Gaspar was president. We didn't win a single title between 1999 and uh, 2004. So uh, we, we had very little to munch on during that period of time. And yeah, certainly, particularly in the 2000-2001 season, fourth in the Liga, semifinals of the Copa del Rey, and crashing out of the group stage of the Champions League final and the, make, making it to the semifinal of the UEFA Cup. But still, other than Rivaldo banging in a lot of goals, not necessarily seasons to remember. And one of the other guys in that season that when you go back to Blanc and talk about disappointments, Emmanuel Petit, who I remember right at the, again, the turn of the century or late, late 90s when English football or the Premier League was just starting to show up on American televisions on a national level that I could watch. He was a fantastic player for Arsenal. And, of course, he was known for the same thing, for being this member of the French squad, combining with Terry Henry, who we'll get to a little bit later. And he signed from Arsenal where he played in the midfield. And the interesting thing is, because of the season they were having at FC Barcelona, and, the, the again, if you finish fourth, that's not necessarily turmoil, but it's certainly not utter success or the success that they wanted. He played as both a center back and a left back at Barcelona for just one season and then joined Chelsea after that year. And again, it's another one of examples of players that we know have great quality. And I don't want to put the onus on Petit, but I know it's one of those examples where he just didn't fit and the club didn't really have a spot for him. And so they just worked him around and he just wasn't comfortable. And one of the things I want to bring up when I think about Petit there is so few French players, but you do speak French. And again, I, I know a little Spanish and we have an understanding that, especially if when you're in Catalonia, that Catalan and French are not that, that different, that unlike the Portuguese language or particularly players who are coming from other spots, even a player coming from Germany, are going to have a lot harder time assimilating to the language and kind of fitting themselves in the team. It's why so many Brazilians have trouble jumping right into the Premier League because the English and Portuguese, it just it doesn't work for a 17-year-old Brazilian kid or an 18-year-old Brazilian kid who has tons of, of cameras in his face all the time. But why is it, do you think, that players like Petit just don't seem to fit? Because obviously it shouldn't be a language barrier. Actually, I'm glad that you're asking me this question because Emmanuel Petit is also a pundit now. And about a year ago, he gave an interview about his time uh, in Barcelona. And he explained why, anyway, according to him, he failed to adapt in Barcelona. And he said that when he showed up during the offseason, the manager at the time, Lorenz uh, Serra Ferrer, didn't even know what position Emmanuel Petit was playing. And apparently the communication between him and the manager was close to non-existent. And uh, he, was able to, he was able to connect with his uh, teammates 
uh, in the dressing room, having learned a little bit of Spanish, uh, pretty much just enough to get by. But there was there was always a disconnect between him and the Spanish-speaking or Catalan-speaking part of the of the dressing room. And he explained that one day uh, Barca had a very bad game, and he had given an interview to the Spanish media uh, in the mixed zone, and he had said, and I quote, "In today's game, we lacked cojones." And you know, <laughs> in in today's uh, in today's media, that word. Uh, gets thrown around left and right, and it's no longer that big of a deal. But we're talking about 2000, 2001. It was still very frowned upon. It was still considered as being uh, offensive by his teammates. And apparently, the Catalan players uh, summoned him to a closed-door meeting, uh, and they, they basically made him understand that what he had done was unacceptable. And he... He knew that at that point, uh, his time in Barcelona was done, and during the off season, he 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 was able to to, to to leave Barcelona and join Chelsea. But basically, that interview or any other chance that Emmanuel Petit has to to talk about his time at Barcelona, he makes it very clear that he's never been able to adapt. And I don't think that it was just a question of language, but it was probably a question of uh, culture and. Not every French player approaches it approaches uh, that the same way, but I'm guessing that him being French and having played in England already, he was probably expecting La Liga or uh, Barca to be like to be like the English clubs where where he, where he's been, like Arsenal for example. But when he showed up at the Barcelona training camp and the Barcelona locker room and the the, the media, the culture over there. It was completely different from anything he had ever uh, experienced previously, and he was never really able to make uh, to make himself at home in Catalonia. Yeah, that's, those are all great points you make, uh, just about the assimilation that a lot of these different players have. And you did talk about the different eras in the media, and it's it's funny because as you were saying that, I'm just thinking that you know Joey Barton is, has said a hundred words worse than that before breakfast every day, and just and especially in obviously the age of social media and Twitter that there, yeah. there was just an air of civility that a lot of these players had to have behind closed doors. And one of those players that was well-respected, at least in the locker room, was Philip Christenval from 2001 to 2003, joined from AS Monaco, only played 32 games before signing for Marseille. But he was a player that did make some Champions League appearances in the group stages. He was a on-and-off-again starter. And again, he's one of those guys that it seemed like Barcelona had something just couldn't help them get to that next next level, right? And uh, you know, like you said, it's a it's a gamble. They, they they tried to to take a chance on him. He had he had a pretty good time with Monaco, and you know had a lot of success over there. Won a won a uh, won a French league title over there, but for some reason it just didn't pan out for him. And he was a he was a very highly touted transfer. At the time as well, he was supposed to come in and make an immediate impact, but he never he never quite made it. And you do look at it that some players, honestly, they just like to be at home. They they don't really want to go too far. And yeah, and some players, you look at uh, currently, he's he's in his prime in his heyday in the 2018 World Cup squad, uh, 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 Florian Thorin, and he is a guy that just seemed to want to stay at home. It didn't work out at Newcastle, so he comes back to France and he had probably the best season he's ever had. 
after not dealing well with it. And for a player like Kristen Ball at the center back position, which again, communication is a big part of when you're playing along that back line. He spoke French, he comes from Monaco, and then 31 appearances of Barcelona, tries out Marseille, doesn't work out there either, whether that was a lack of confidence or what have you. And then finally, from 2005 to 2008, had a little bit of success at Fulham, made 36 appearances for them. Again, just didn't find his footing or didn't find that situation. And you see that a lot on this list with a lot of these French players. And one of the guys that is not on that list, and probably, I guess, the first deep dive we'll have as we continue to work through this, number 15 on our list is Ludovic Julie, 2004 to 2007, joined from AS Monaco, won the Champions League in 2006 as an important part of Frank Ricard's squad. And then he joins Roma in 2007 after making ni- after scoring 19 goals, 85 appearances. And the thing that people might, have, might remember, at least what I remember about him in the, basically in the 2006-2007 year, is that he was the guy that led to the guy. And by the guy, I mean the number 10, Lionel Messi. Because he pops up in the same position that Messi plays as Messi, even at 17 years old, is already banging on that door waiting for that spot to really open up. And Julie was, in a sense, that block for Messi. And so when Julie leaves, you really see Messi in 2007, then 2008, turn things on and get to that another level. But for Julie's time for Barcelona, he represented a lot of what the squad was at the time. And that was hardworking. That was uh, very compact with Ricard. And it was be- you were beginning to see the elements of what Pep Guardiola would then would then mold into the squad that that became the FC Barcelona that we currently know in the modern era. And Julie was one of the, I'd say the one of the soldiers and one of the predecessors of that kind of role. And so I think I do remember him finally. And obviously he won the Champions League in 2006, playing an important part of that squad. Ludovic Julie is your prototype, uh, as you said, to, to the Messi's and the Iniesta's of this world. He's your old school number 10 who can play who was able to play either as a second striker as a winger or as a attacking midfielder and i do remember him fondly as well uh, with barcelona with what he brought to the table especially with a ronaldinho next to him with a with a samuel etto uh play, playing ahead of him and the one thing that boggles my mind still to this day is how come in the prime of his life, Julie wasn't uh, called up to the French squad that went to the 2006 World Cup because he had everything that uh, that squad needed and uh, he would have been a great addition to that squad. But as a, as a Barca fan, as a Kule, I was delighted to, to see him work his magic for the three seasons that we had him. Certainly, and Ludovic Silvestre, the next player for Barcelona, number 16, 2005-2006, signed from Turkey for Barcelona B, played two matches for the first team, and then joined Sparta Prague. So one Ludovic, we remember very fondly, the other Ludovic coming in 2005. We Not to say we don't remember at all, but we don't really remember at all. And I would say that 95% of Kool-Aids, if you ask them who that was, they couldn't tell you not only where he came from or, or what he who, what, who he played for, or anything like that. But the next guy, unlike Silvestre, 2006 to 2008, Lillian Thuram, which is another guy like Blanc, who we talked about, who is an absolute legend, coming in, playing his whole career in in Italy, 
at the at the strength of his powers, joins from Juventus, wins just the Spanish Super Cup in 2006, and that's all that Theron really helped bring to the club. And it was a surprise because he was at the end of his career, and it's a shame because you do remember the, the great Lillian Theron at the 1998 World Cup and how important he was there, and even in 2006 playing a hand in that. But by that time, Theron was just not the same player, and Barcelona... Again, it's a name that they got just a little bit too late. Exactly, and uh, if it wasn't for the Calciopolis scandal in Italy, we probably would have never had him to begin with. <laughs> what actually made him come to Barcelona was the fact that Juventus was relegated to the to the second division in Italy. So I, I still remember that time. I, I remember him coming over, and I remember being very excited about about what he would have been able to bring to the table, but on the other hand, there was uh, Carles Puyol and Rafa Marquez and uh, Gabriel Milito ahead of him in the pecking order, and at that point in his career, the, the hill was just too steep for him to climb, so in hindsight, I, I don't know if at that point of his career he would have been able to do better than what he did, but it was certainly, if I, if I may say so, it was certainly a sexy signing at the time. It was a, a huge name from a legendary 1998 World Cup winning squad coming over to Barcelona. The hype was uh, amazing, but he, he just couldn't deliver. And uh, after his two years in Barcelona, he unfortunately had to retire. Well, speaking of a player gotten in the height of his career, the next guy on the list, again, if not for Messi and Iniesta, my favorite player I've said on the pod before, Terry Henry. 2007 to 2010, signed from Arsenal. And it's not like he was on the downward of his career, but at Arsenal, he was always the number one guy. He was always the focus. And he probably had lost half a step by the time he was at Barcelona from just all the the, the minutes and goals and time he had been on the pitch for Arsenal, playing in the difficult physical Premier League. And Terry Henry comes in and takes a back seat does the, one of the the humblest things that you could. And I've always heard an argument that if Terry Henry didn't take a back seat in the way he did to Messi and to Samuel Eto'o on the, off, on the forward line, at least, if he hadn't done that, we, he probably would have won Ballon d'Or. But because he decided to just be a cog in that system, they win the Champions League title in 2009. And I, I for me, I have nothing but fond memories of Terry Henry at Barcelona. And of course, he comes to the States so I could see him in 2010, joins the New York Red Bulls, and he's still a pundit on English TV. Obviously, he just quit that to become a manager after being an assistant coach with Belgium at the World Cup. And so Terry Henry has always been in the spotlight. He's always been at the forefront of our minds, and yet he does it with grace. He does it with dignity. And was even were even telling me off air that if I spoke French, I might find a way to like Terry Henry even more. That's right. And... Uh... Just uh, recently, I I was able to listen to an amazing interview that Thierry Henry had given uh, in French. Uh, I don't know if there is an English version of that interview or a subtitled version of that interview, but basically Thierry Henry was saying that at 30 years old, under Pep Guardiola, he felt like he had learned how to play football all over again. And... Because of his willingness to, 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 to improve his game and his humility, you know, he was uh, humble enough to, to listen to a manager 
not that long ago was playing was a, was a footballer himself, pretty much uh, around the same time as uh, as Henri himself. So he was able to learn new tricks, tricks that will follow him well into his manager's career. And you're talking about how he was able to take a backseat and reinvent himself, and that led to to, to a Champions League title. He was humble enough to. To, to leave in 2010 when he could have he could have been part of the ride one more year and added more titles to his name but that's the one thing about Henri that is admirable is that he always knows exactly the right time to make a, a career decision when he left Arsenal when he came over to Barcelona when he left Barcelona and when he retired with the New York Red Bulls and now as you mentioned leaving Sky Sports to invest himself fully in his manager in his managerial career and hopefully hopefully if we cannot have him one day as a manager I would love to see him come back to Barcelona either as an assistant manager or uh, you know coaching one of our youth teams because he is one hell of a football mind and he would bring so much to the table. When you listen to him, either in French or in English, on Sky Sports or uh, in the French media, every single time he talks about football, it's it's like it's like reading a book. It's like reading an encyclopedia. He and he is made to coach, and I think that part of the reasons why he's going to make such a great coach is uh, the fact that he played under Pep Guardiola and he learned so much under Pep Guardiola. When he came over to Barcelona, and the other thing I would say about Terry Henry being in a in a backdoor role, and even as a manager, that he and the next guy, the big guy you've all been waiting for, that we're going to talk about, they are calming presences in the locker room that seem to just calm their teammates. Their teammates have always loved them, and that, with the exception of Terry Henry, when he was late in his career with the Red Bulls not wanting to play on turf and getting criticism and not really liking that. I'd never heard a bad word about Henri. And the same thing with Eric Albidal with the club from 2007 to 2013. Again, these are guys just calming presences who I'm glad that Eric Albidal is back as a current sporting director because even if it takes him a little bit to figure out, and we already see he's in the heat of trying to figure out his first transfer window in a position that he's unfamiliar to, these are guys that just seem to connect everybody together, whether it's the board, whether it's his teammates, whether it's the manager, they just kind of connect everybody and they they add a lightness to what's happening instead of all the, the negative, dark business that football is. And that's what it is. It's a business. But when it comes to Henri and Albidal, where Henri is, in one sense, seems to love the sport more than he loves being bothered by everyone else. He, he's just so focused on the sport. And Albidal really does give off uh, that similar air. In his six years with the club, he played at left back and center back, joined from Lyon, left for Monaco, again now comes back as a sporting director. And the interesting thing about Albidal, though, it's almost unfortunate that we aren't going to remember him and don't really remember him for his football. And when you build that perfect Pep Guardiola starting 11, you, you slot him in at left back and you remember him fondly as being a part of that team that, that really just you know, set the world ablaze with how there is a different way that football could be played. And that said, it's a shame, as, as I'm alluding to, that obviously his battle with cancer was inspiring in a sense. And 
I, I mean, we'll always remember the moment when he's wearing the captain's armband from Carlos Puyol and he raises the Champions League trophy. It's a picture in our head. It's an image that will last forever of the, just not that only the triumph of the team and this man as a footballer, but this man to, to, to overcome cancer and to choose to, to be someone who lived and who could still succeed and fight back and to have that strength and that courage again it's something that that inspires you almost as much as the football that everybody else is playing at the same time in the same regard he's come back in the back office and yet already in the last month you're seeing all this negative stuff about Sandra Roselle and then the getting a, a liver on the black market for his transplant and all this this nonsense that obviously has already been uh, debugged and they've said that it's it's not true so my question about Eric Albedal I, I don't mean to be negative Mike but for all the wonderful memories we have why is it that people seem to be inclined and now obviously I'm in the states and no matter where you're listening there's a different perception of France so why is it that in, in some other western western countries France has this negative reputation and it seems like it's constantly being attacked. I mean, they even saw you saw you see on the internet that it, there were jokes that all of Europe was rooting for Croatia except for France. France obviously is going to root for France. Well, the answer, the answer, uh, anyway, according to my standpoint, is very simple. Uh, Eric Abidal and Thierry Henry were part of the famous 2010 World Cup uh, squad, uh, French squad, which decided not to get off that famous bus in Nysna, South Africa, right? And that incident, although Thierry Henry and Eric Abidal, for whatever reason, came out of that incident uh, with their reputations untouched, that incident left a really, really ugly mark on French football in general. I would say that the Henri handball against Ireland is the, is the other negative one that I remember from for Henri at least. Yeah, but continue. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> so, like I said, the Nysna incident left a very ugly mark uh, on French football. So much so that a lot of uh, a lot of uh, French internationals who were part of that team never made it back to the national team, no, no matter how great their level was and still is to this day. I'm thinking about someone like. Frank Ribery, for example, or uh, uh, someone like uh, Samir Nasri, who were at the peak of their form back in those days, but because of that incident, they never, they, they were never able to, to, to make it back. And the, there was a disconnect between the French uh, national team and French people, uh, French people in general, uh, including the media. And the media were extremely critical of the French national team for years. And I would say until probably around 2014, uh, during the World Cup in Brazil, we were able to see some sort of a reconciliation between, uh, the, between Les Bleus and the French media. And then what happens? You have the... Uh, Valbuena Benzema incident that set the, the, the French national team back probably four years behind. And it's only when the French national team made it to the, to the Euro final in 2016 uh, with a fresh squad with brand new faces that people starting started getting behind 
getting behind that team again. And obviously, now that they're world champions, uh, I think that the incidents of the past are dead and buried, and everybody is ready to look to the future with young faces, some of which we're going to mention later on. And, uh, you know, the first of uh, possibly many international successes to come. I guess uh, the, another question that we do have to ask, again, it was negative about uh, some negativity, not about Albedo, but about his relationship with the, the global media. But I, I just do want to get your thoughts on his style of play and what you enjoy so much about it. I mean, for me, it was just that he is a different player than Jordi Alba. I mean, Jordi Alba, he's a fan, he was a fantastic athlete. He did have speed, but he didn't seem to have that extra burner gear. But he was so stable. And in baseball, the term is a five-tool player. And that's what Abidal seemed to me to be able to do. He could do anything that you asked of him at a superior level. And it, he might not have had one talent that was better than any of his teammates, but he could do everything. He was important on set pieces as a big body. He had enough speed. He could, he could mark one-on-one. He would get up that wing and, and be in that space that the 4-3-3 system needs him to be in. He could deputize as center back. He really could do everything for me. He was just, he was the, the first Swiss Army knife that we saw. I, I, he was one of the best Swiss Army knives, I guess I could say, that I've ever seen in world football. Yeah, and we were lucky enough to have more than one during that era. We also had uh, Sidu Keita, we had Yaya Toure. That era was very rich with Swiss Army knives, uh, much to our delight. But if I, uh, I don't like comparing players, especially players that had their primes in different era. But if I can compare Eric Abidal with Jordi Alba, uh, I find Jordi Alba to be a lot more gifted offensively than Abidal was. But Abidal was certainly a better defender than uh, than Jordi Alba. Uh, and I think that of all the strengths that he had, the one strength that I appreciated about him is, uh, is definitely his, uh, his soundness in terms of defense and how defensively responsible he was uh, as a left back, even though he contributed a lot offensively. I just remember feeling more at ease back then. And that's not a knock on Alba, by the way, because we're comparing two left backs that are at extremely high levels, Alba being one of the best in the entire world right now, and Abidal certainly being a, a top-tier left back as well during his day. But if, if, I can, if I can separate one from the other, I think that the one thing that stands out for me is uh, how, how good of a defender he was. Right, which which just allowed him to play across that back line if he needed to. He never really started as the right back. But the other thing that he did for the club was that when you talk about the French connection with Barcelona, where while Terry Henry and and Julie were important players at the time, Eric Albidal goes on to make 125 appearances. So first French player, and it's not close, of more than 100 appearances. And, and it winds up being, I, I think in the future, he'll be officially named a Barcelona legend, maybe after the time that he's a sporting director. But we move on to number 20 as we're getting close to wrapping this up. It's going a little longer than the normal pod, and we appreciate you listening and hope you're enjoying it as I'll plug a few more of these kind of shows at the end. But number 20, nevertheless, is Jeremy Mathieu, 2014 to 2017, signs from Valencia, much like Albidal. That's, here's where the comparisons for him came in, where he was extremely fast they say that in training he would be 
first or second or third in those races with Jordi Alba. He could play both center back and left back, but as we saw at Valencia even, he was already on the downturn of his career as he is now playing with Sporting CP. And the Jeremy Matu transfer, not only was to add depth, but now to kind of bring in the, the four guys currently playing for the club, when they signed Clement Lenglet from Sevilla just, just a week ago, that was a similar kind of transfer where Matu was a guy who came in that wave with Andre Gomes and guys who played in La Liga that FC Barcelona got to watch or the board watches regularly. They know exactly what they're going to get. They know that they can handle not only the Spanish language and the culture, but they can handle La Liga. And so Langlet is, to me, a, a much younger, almost 8 to 10 years younger when he made the transfer, version of Jeremy Matu. And Langlet's ceiling, obviously, is also higher. But for me, Matu, he didn't ever really catch on. But he had some good performances at the beginning and unfortunately had some real howlers at the end of his career. And I do kind of remember him as this 50-50 depth option that could do some good things, but certainly never. I never felt comfortable having him be the third center back. If you remember correctly, Dan, the summer of 2014, right after the World Cup, Mats Hummels was telling everyone at the German media how, uh, how much he loved FC Barcelona and how much he would be honored to wear the Blaugrana colors. And we all thought that Mats Hummels was coming to replace the to, to replace uh, Carles Puyol, who had uh, retired not too long before. And we ended up signing Jeremy Mathieu and Thomas Vermalen. And it boggled my mind. I didn't understand why. And Vermalen ended up being injured, so it took a long time for us to see what he was able to give to, to give us. But in Matthew's case, his first season wasn't all that bad. He even, although it's not really his job, he even scored in a classical the year that we won the treble. So the first year, I, I found him very serviceable. But after that, the two additional seasons, like you said, there were some howlers in there. And I, I, remember, I remember some key games where I couldn't understand why he was fielded at all. And lo and behold... He had made mistakes that costed us some very important games, Liga and Champions League. So I'm not, <laughs> let's just say that I'm not sad to, to have seen him go when he left. But there, are some, there were some good and some bad moments. Uh, I still don't understand why we brought him in, in the first place. I know that there was a connection between Robert Fernandez and Valencia, which is why uh, we had a lot of players coming over from Valencia. But, yeah, he, he's not, <laughs> although he's a treble winner, uh, I don't think that uh, Jérémy Mathieu will exactly be remembered in 10 or 20 or 30 years from now. So we'll wrap this up. Now, again, the four players, Umtiti, Dinier, Dembele, Lenglet, as you normally listen to this podcast, those are names you hear quite often. And the importance of Umtiti in Dinier when Dembele originally came to the squad was seen as an important thing. They really wanted to wrangle him in and make sure that he was getting assimilated not only to the city, but just was feeling comfortable and not dealing with the pressure and burden of his price tag. And, you know, for all of that, Lucas Dinier lacks in being Jordi Alba's backup when you take that jump down. If the help that Dinier has gotten to assimilate Dembele, and if Dembele ever winds up realizing the potential that a lot of Kool-Aids know he has, I think that's actually one of the ways that I'll remember Dinier. And now Lenglet is a different case. We're coming in 
most likely going to be the, the third center back. And again, he's only 23. We don't know what his future holds. I'm excited to see those four, but instead of those four that are currently in the club, again, the most we've ever had, they do represent this wave of French talent. And not just because of winning the World Cup. We saw, Mike, before France won the World Cup, there were a lot of jokes about how France, and I guess in a sense they did with his Germany as well, and Spain. But you could have three or four different French starting 11s who could all be starters on almost every other team at the World Cup. And the we'll say the 23 that France didn't take was a team that could have made the quarterfinals or the semifinals of the World Cup. That's how deep in talent France currently is. Now, when you look at the academy at Barcelona and La Pazia, that while the transfer ban has made the board very afraid of bringing basically any players from other countries in, and it makes them very tentative about being, I mean, being on FIFA's radar as they are at the moment. With France so close, though, I wouldn't be surprised, and I would be very happy to see if, you, if, if there wasn't more of an uptick. In, as we know that, obviously, they have scouts in the Catalonia region and, and some all over Spain, particularly in the Mallorca region and Valencia. And so you, you do see a lot of different players. I mean, that's where Alvaro Ruiz was taken. And Mateo Mori, who I've mentioned in the past, the young right back for Juvenil A, came from Mallorca. And when you have scouts in those areas, I would like to see a few more young French players because they, they seem to have something working. And while the majority of the players for that French squad came from the greater Paris region, and again, we get into those subplots of immigration and how that's affecting the global France, it seems like France has not only a confidence in developing talent at the moment, but you seem to have an uptick in talent as well. And in what ways, Mike, do you think that Barcelona other than having first-team players signed for millions of dollars. But do you think there's a, a youth connection that could be made as well? That's a great question. Um, like, like you mentioned, international transfers for underage uh, players can be very tricky and very dangerous. However, I can, I can imagine, and I certainly hope, that Eric Abidal, now being the technical secretary for the first team, if our presence increases in France and our scouts spend more time in in French academies, uh, watching uh, reserve, you know, French reserve uh, teams and and you know, underage squads, we could actually get ahead and get the information before the other big clubs and perhaps bring them over in time to, to integrate the, the juvenile squad or the B squad. But I'm not sure if it would be very safe to bring in a contingent of uh, French players at the age of uh, 13 or 14 years old. Uh, unless, obviously, they're exceptional. Like, for example, uh, and he's not French, but he's certainly an example that I love mentioning. Chavi Simons, for example. Right, the the Dutch Spanish midfielder, right? Chavi <laughs> Simons. Yeah, we had a, we had a show about him many many moons ago in the tw- in the year 2017. But I, I think one of the other things to Albidal's relationship with a lot of these academies, and again, he he has a good relationship with Monaco, a good relationship with Lyon, and it, it kind of is a subset of Barcelona's complicated relationship with Paris Saint Germain where they go in the future with this. Because what we're seeing a lot from, 
I, I don't know, as, as sad as it may be, if Barcelona want to continue to be grooming talent and to be at this high level, Barcelona, not that they're going to have to get their hands dirty when it comes to those 18-year-old, 19-year-old kids whose contracts are expiring, but if Man City can do it to us, if Juventus can do it to us, then Barcelona, with Albidal at the head, if he's in those regions, and again, he, he knows people in the greater Paris area, if he has some of his claws in those academies, particularly not, again, Lyon, nowhere near Paris, but even in Paris Saint-Germain, where it's difficult to uh, kind of knock down that door because of the money that they can offer their youth players is money that FC Barcelona is not willing to offer their youth players. If you can find 18, 19-year-old kids who you know really are going to be the next thing, where they're a year or two away and should be making first-team appearances by the time they're 20, if you can let them know, hey, come to Barcelona, be when, when your contract expires or when you turn 18, you sign a deal with Barcelona, play in our juvenile A squad for a year, make some appearances, or play for Barca B, obviously, and make some appearances for the first team, make the bench. And if Barcelona can now take the, the current year, and we actually, I actually talked about it last week with Mohamed Butt, when you take players like Abu Riz and Miranda, and when you can show other teenagers that, hey, we're giving teenagers chances, not only in the first team to impress at training, but we're going to give them some spots on the bench, we're going to rotate, and they are clearly on the radar, and they're teenagers too, maybe you can get some 18, 19-year-old kids from that that wealth of talent and those high those, those high talent squads in the Paris region. And that's, I think, the market that Barcelona should be looking at and the way that Man City is taking advantage of that same market in Barcelona. Right, and you do have a point, but uh, I think that if we want to go scout talent in the Paris region, we could, we could go beyond uh, Paris Saint-Germain. We can look at other clubs and other academies in the region. You know, you know how Manchester City is now having a very close relationship with Girona, loaning a lot of players to Girona, and Girona itself being owned by the City Football Group. Uh, we could establish a relationship with, with a, a club in the Paris region. And the first one that comes to my mind is uh, a, a French second division club with a extremely effective academy, and that club is called Le Havre. And Le Havre, in recent years, have gra- has graduated players uh, such as Benjamin Mendy, the, the left back from Manchester City, uh, Riyad Mahrez, uh, and uh, N'Golo Kante, as well as Paul Pogba and Dimitri Payet. And that club has consistently graduated some great, great French talents over the year, over the years. Steve Mandanda, the, 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 the French national team backup goalkeeper as well, came from that, from that club. So I'm thinking if, if establishing a relationship with a direct competitor like PSG could be very complicated for FC Barcelona, there are other clubs in the Paris region that we can be in business with, and who would gladly uh, enter a long-term enter, uh, into a long-term partnership with us, and I think that this would be a more viable uh, option to to consider in the future. And Eric Abidal could be the man to to get it done. Yeah, certainly, he's the guy that 
you, we like so much, and he is that the the legend as a player, and who knows where Umtiti? I mean, what a what a legend already he's being. You could argue that Umtiti is the third or second or third most important Barcelona player so far. Umtiti has yet to win a Champions League like Henri, but Umtiti is going to be that important. And Dembele has all the world at his fingertips. He could be again one, two, three, four on that list. But at the moment, the top dog, the French connection with FC Barcelona. You have to say starts and ends both as a player and now as the sporting director with Eric Albidal. And again, we really appreciate everybody who tuned in this whole time. Again, you knew that we'd be focusing on Eric Albidal. And this was, again, mine and Mike, who does speak French, obviously lives in the Montreal region, who we, it was a way to, to get one of these out. And I'm glad we got to do France first. And so that kind of does bring us to the end of our French episode. But that doesn't mean this is the last one. There are plans in the future at certain times and at the right time, we'll say. We're gonna, we'd like to cover the Netherlands and Brazil. And, of course, go dig in the archives in Hungary. And if you have any interest in shows like that or, or there's a, an idea that you have for one of these long-form shows, let us know. Again, you can find us on Twitter at the Barcelona Pod, or for me, at HiltonD13. Again, we're also in our closed Facebook group tbpod.link backslash group well i want to say merci beaucoup so much that means again thank you a lot mike for joining the show and helping me out talk about the 24 players that fc barcelona have had with the french connection thank you very much for having me dan thank you everyone for listening and until next time we'll talk to you soon and forza barca forza And now, an ad from Dad. <clears throat> All right. Save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Can I take these off? All right. What is this? This looks good. Wow. That's well made. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you with the hair. Yeah, where did you get this? It's good stuff. That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations. Right now, when you come in and switch to T-Mobile, you get the amazing iPhone 11 Pro on us with iPhone XS trade-in. <sighs> Aren't these mountains majestic? Joe, are you even looking? I'm posting these amazing pics I took with my iPhone 11 Pro. It has three cameras. Whoa, those pics are amazing. And you have service too? T-Mobile. Their newest signal goes farther than ever before. Uh, then you can look up whether these are bear tracks, right? Or we could just run. Come to a T-Mobile store today and get iPhone 11 Pro on us with iPhone XS trade-in. And right now, get four lines for just 30 bucks a line with AutoPay. Switch today. Contact us if you cancel or credits may stop in full price due, plus taxes and fees via 24 monthly credits for well-qualified customers with qualifying service and finance agreement. Zero down with trade-in plus 3125 times 24 months. Pre-credit price nine ninety nine ninety nine. 0% APR while supplies last. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. 
Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com 